It's time for the UN Roundup. Daniel Johnson joins me on the line from the United Nations. Daniel, how was your weekend, even if it was under an eerie orange sky? Yeah, end of the world, wasn't it, really? But uh, <laughs> luckily, we're still here. It's Monday. It is. It, it was is very, very it? odd. It was It was very, very odd. And uh, yeah, I think um, luckily rain came to, to wash away the, the red stuff from the cars. So that was good. Absolutely. Did you know what it was beforehand or did you take to the internet to look up what it was that was making the sky orange? I have seen it before, but do you remember last time in, in when we had that big hailstorm in 20, what was it, oh gosh, 2012 or something? Uh, it was a big one uh, in Geneva and um, the, the, the light was just like that before those big hailstones Ooh. fell. So you were uh, ready luckily to... that didn't happen. <laughs> to protect Ready everything. to panic, yes, ready to panic. <laughs> Um, well, if that wasn't enough, this weekend has been rather interesting for you because there was some news on Twitter overnight last night talking of what's going on at the United Nations this week. Um, there's a little, a little bombshell that was revealed overnight on Twitter. Tell us what happened. Oh, it's just Mark Lowcock, the UN's emergency relief chief. He will be stepping down. Uh, he, he was appointed in May 2017. Um, he's a Brit who's been working very hard to uh, get funding for the many humanitarian crises and emergencies around the world. So he's the one who really is the link between the Security Council and the Central uh, Emergency Relief Fund and the one that really responds quickly to emergencies and coordinates um, all of the agencies really to um, to, to get uh, help to where it's needed most. Um, and uh, he announced just in a tweet overnight that he would be spending more time with his family um, and that um, he uh, uh, will be staying on until Antonio Guterres, the UN chief, appoints his successor. He said, what humanitarian agencies do matters above all for those we're trying to help. So that's uh, really what um, the, the feeling that is reflected by everyone who works here at the United Nations. I love that great reveal on Twitter one day. I mean, I'm sure it didn't quite happen like this. I'm sure it was not the the first time that his his line manager knew about it happening. But I love the idea of just dropping an I quit message. Bye, I'm out of here, mic drop, you know, on Twitter. It's it's kind of the dream one day. I wonder if anyone else out there listening now okay. has ever done that. Um, anyway, let's go back, though, to look at some of the things that will be you'll be working on this week for the United Nations. I first of all want to turn to Ethiopia, in fact. Yes, uh, we had, um, well, this is an ongoing crisis because fighting is three months long now in the northern region of uh, Tigray. And the point is that aid is, is, is really close to being delivered. It just needs to overcome some of these bureaucratic obstacles. It's as simple as that. We've had high level uh, condemnation for, um, for the conflict. Um, and we've had a visit from UN Refugee Agency Chief Filippo Grandi, uh, last week he met the PM there. Um, and there, you know, there's no problem getting food into the country. You know, Ethiopia is, uh, Addis Ababa is a massive uh, aid hub as it is, but it's just getting the staff to assess where the needs are the greatest. And, uh, you know, we sort of know where the needs are the greatest. Um, and there are two camps in particular where uh, the UNHCR, the UN Refugee Agency, really wants to get to, but it can't at the moment, um, citing insecurity and these bureaucratic obstacles, uh, end quote that have prevented aid workers from providing life-saving assistance to 2.3 million people. This is what Baba Balok, who is a spokesperson from the UN Refugee Agency, told journalists in a press conference last Friday about the insecurity and the dilemma and the crisis facing people in these camps we can't get to. Some said they had resorted to eating leaves because there was no other food 
available. They also spoke about infiltration of armed actors in the camps of killings, abductions, and also some forced return to Eritrea at the hands of Eritrean forces present in the area. It's just so frustrating when the aid and the food and the support is there. It's just a case Mm -hmm. of then not being able to get to the people that need it. That must be so frustrating. I would think so. I would think so if you're an aid worker and you're trying to help people. Yes, I would think that's about the worst thing. Um, The frustration that you you know there are people who need you now or yesterday and you can't get to them. Um, Last week we talked about Libya. I know that there were some pretty important talks happening right the way throughout the week. Do you have a recap for us on, on what happened and was there any conclusion Yes, this is um, the talks concluded, and you know, thanks to Switzerland for really persevering with this in very difficult circumstances with COVID and everything. Um, the Libyan Political Dialogue Forum ended on Friday with the a vote, which was always uh, on the cards, and it happened with a vote for. Uh, a new prime minister, an interim prime minister, I should say, Abdul Hamid Mohamed Beba, who is Libya's new interim prime minister, along with a, um, a three-person presidency council, which is going to be headed by Mohamed Yunus Al-Menfi, a Libyan diplomat. And the main aim of this uh, exercise was to create a new temporary executive that unites, that will unite um, this very divided country between the east, the west and the south, and bring in elections on the 24th of December this year, which is Libya's national holiday, I believe. Um, And Stephanie Williams, who is, uh, well, the outgoing um, special representative of the Secretary General, who was really driving these talks forward with the UN mission in Libya, Unsmil, she was saying, you know, there are so many challenges, but she thinks this new executive will be up to meeting these challenges, uh, provided that they follow the advice and recommendations put forward by the Libyan Political Dialogue Forum that was meeting in uh, uh, just outside Geneva last week to build a government of competent patriotic Libyans who are there not to divide the cake, but to share the responsibility. That does sound more positive. That's great news. So um, let's also talk about the public screening that is taking place this week as well, this Thursday, in fact. Uh, And is this something that people can turn up to and even watch virtually? Um. You can not really turn up to it. I think this is happening in New York, this one, but okay. you can turn up uh, virtually um, and you're more than welcome to do so. So I've sent you a link, Kat. Uh, if you could share that with your listeners, that would be much appreciated. Um, I suppose if you set off now, but even you couldn't, you know, you couldn't even go <laughs> no. now, could you? So, no, no, uh, so this is going to be a virtual exercise <laughs> Good. in another world, another world. Um, so this is called The Windermere Children, which is a little known story of 300 orphaned Jewish refugees who began new lives in England's Lake District in the summer of 1945, uh, just after the end of the war, obviously. And it's all about a pioneering project to rehabilitate these child survivors. Now, there'll be um, uh, the a discussion with the film's director, Michael uh, Samuels, and the film's producer, Nancy Bornat, and also Holocaust survivor, Joanna Millen, um, as well as many others who will be able to take you through uh, what should be, you know, an inspiring uh, screening, which is free, plus the discussion afterwards. That's at five this Thursday, the 11th of February. Nice. We'll make sure that there's a link up on our website, worldradio.ch forward slash UN Roundup. Daniel Johnson, thanks very much. We'll catch up with you next week. Thank you. Thank you, Kat. Now at La Pie.